On this episode of This Week in Linux, we have distro releases from Zorn OS and Arco Linux. We're going to check out the latest releases from core projects like Mesa, QEMU, DXVK, and D9VK. The RISC-V Foundation has decided to move their headquarters out of the U.S. Microsoft has announced Teams for Linux, while Canonical has announced their sponsorship for a WSL conference. Later in the show, we'll take a look at a text editor called Textosaurus. The latest deals from Home Bundle, and we got some good news regarding Disney Plus on Linux. All that and much more coming up. I'm Michael Tanel with Tux Digital and the Destination Linux Network, and this is your weekly source for Linux good news. This episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and more. You can get all this plus access to their world-class customer support for as low as $5 per month. DigitalOcean also has 2,000 cloud-agnostic tutorials to help you stay up-to-date with the latest open-source software languages and frameworks. And these tutorials are fantastic. They also keep them up-to-date in general, so if they have a new version of it, you know, if you go, to, if you have like a search engine and you find one of the tutorials, it'll, it might say, like, this is an old version. Here, click here for the latest one. Really cool. They do keep really on top of that stuff. And if you'd like to get started with DigitalOcean for one month for free, you can use a $50 credit by going to do.co slash tux. That's do.co slash tux. Again, you can get started on DigitalOcean with that $50 credit for, with, by going to do.co slash tux. And thanks again to DigitalOcean for sponsoring This Week in Linux. A first in the show this week is Zorin OS 15.1. First of all, this is not a huge update, but there are significant differences in some various things that might be good for the users. And also there's some controversy around Zorin OS recently, so I wanted to address that as well. So first of all, the improvements are to Zorin Connect. They've added a slideshow remote feature, which is really cool. It's ability to hold a button and then use your accelerometer in your phone to adjust the mouse like position on the screen. So that is a really cool thing. However, I would point out that this is not like Zorin Connect is if it is a KDE Connect thing. So if you're not aware, KDE Connect is the best convergence thing I've ever used on a computer allows you to connect your Android phone to your computer in so many ways and I need to make a video on just this one thing because it is so awesome and I love it. Uh, so Zorin Connect is essentially a fork of KD Connect and now that might be annoying that people were like well, why would you fork it just to rebrand it because most of the features that I've seen are available in KD Connect that Zorin Connect. I don't, I don't really know what the difference is Techni technically maybe there is one but I don't know. It seems to be just a branding thing. But I wanted to give a clarification there is that Zorin Connect, it does make sense that they would create a branding thing because if you look at the way that they, they structure it, their DE is based on GNOME. And GNOME has GS Connect, which is an extension, but you still need, which is a GNOME shell extension, but you still need the KD Connect software on the system to be running. And you need KD Connect on the phone. So it's very complicated to explain to people that's how they need to get it to work. Whereas if they just right, fork the, all the pieces and then rebrand it to Zorn Connect, it makes it a lot easier to tell them to just have Zorn Connect activated and installed. So I understand why they did that. And KDE Connect is a fantastic piece of software. So let's move on, though. They've also implemented Feral Interactive's game mode in this release, which is really cool because it gives impr improvements to various different gaming elements. 
Uh, they've, asked, they've added a manual schedule option, so you can now choose the exact time of the day to change between light and dark themes. This is in their Zorin appearance tool, where it allows you to have a. It used to be like at, at you know nighttime, which is automatically changed to dark theme if you set it up. But now you can choose to actually like give a specific time of the day that it does it instead of having it do it automatically or like not automatically, but it auto choose the time. This way, you it will still do it automatically, but you choose the time when it does it. So that's pretty cool. And this latest version adds a new font that I'm not really sure why this is a part of their release notes but because it's got a great name I wanted to include it and it's called Sans Forgetica which is based on like the Helvetica thing but forget Forgetica because it is a memory based font to help you remember things uh, that you're reading and that you're like basically you're highlighting notes and stuff like that so it says it was designed using the principles of cognitive psychology to help you remember text better its unusual and disrupted letter form subtly prompts users or readers to increase cognitive processing on the text, increasing memory retention. It's the perfect font to use when highlighting important points in your study notes. It looks like it's it's just it's a font that is missing a lot of pieces, and it's pretty interesting. So I'll have a link in the, sh in the show notes for the release notes to check out what this font looks like. But I kind of included it just because I like the name of it, of Sans Forgetica. So whatever. So the next thing I want to talk about is the privacy concerns issues with Zorin OS. Now, Zorin OS has received a lot of positive publicity lately in the latest release of its distribution. But it also has been getting some controversy stuff that has been happening for the past couple weeks or so uh, due to some stuff people have noticed on Reddit. So some users on Reddit were reporting that they were seeing anonymous pings sending anonymous unique identifier or machine IDs uh, of your computer every 30 minutes to the Zorin OS servers without the user consent. Now this has been responded by Zorin OS previously and their responses were not, you know, kind of subpar. They were comparing their stuff to Ubuntu but they didn't understand how Ubuntu did theirs anyways. I don't think that the Zorin OS team were doing anything malicious with the intent. I think they just kind of messed up and you know didn't think about something that they should have when in terms of like giving user consent options. They have addressed this though in the on the installer now, so that when you install Zorin OS, it gives you an option to choose whether or not to consent to this data this data collection. Uh, whether you want to, uh, if you already have it installed, you can just run a command to get rid of it. Uh, but there's not it's not like a ton of data, but at the same time, it is consistently happening, which I think that's the issue there. So here's the data that they, here's the stuff from their uh, privacy policy page says, when you're using Zorn OS, your computer may send us a ping, which it will, I'll say, I'll say may send, which only includes the number of users, a anonymous users of, this, of the, that particular installation, a anonymous identifier for the installation, Zorn OEM partner batch, if applicable, and your o OS version on an hourly basis. That part is the weird part. We use this information to count the number of active users on Zorn OS. The identifier is only used for the census and does not personally identify you unless you or someone acting on your behalf discloses it separately. So they give you an example of what is sent and it's just like a JSON string, uh, but it's not like a huge issue. They're not like keeping track of like a ton of data. But the problem here is that it's doing it once every 30, every 60 minutes, so once an hour, and it doesn't make any sense to be sending that much, like not not sending the, the amount of information, but just sending it that often. Because if all the information you are getting is that the stuff that you're listing, then that stuff is not going to change every hour. There's no reason to be getting that, con that information all the time like that. At the most, 
I would say that once a week is reasonable, but I would even say that's not even necessary because I think that you should do it where every time you connect to the server, as the user connects to the server, then the server can request that information. For example, example if you're once you're installing it, request it, or request it when you're doing an update. And you don't have to like ask for permission every time. If, if you give permission the first time, that should be okay the next times. But only do it on updates. That way, when you are connecting to the servers, that is when they're doing it. Rather than this constant every hour thing, just seems super excessive. They haven't addressed this, and hopefully, if Zorin is watching this particular episode, they will address the issue with the once an hour thing. Maybe there's a reason for it to be done I, that I'm not seeing. Uh, so if there is, please let me know because uh, I would like to know what that might be. So if I am, uh, if I find out more information about this, I'll let you know in a future episode. Uh, but this is kind of nice because they have fixed some of the issues that people had with it not being able to change, like to consent or not. And now that they have done that in the installer, they've also made it possible if you can just run a command to remove a particular package, it will also disable that as well. So if you already have it installed, you can do that as well. I wish they would be more upfront about that part. So if you already have it installed, you're not going to be notified it notified about it in the installer because you already installed it, and you're not going to be notified on the system to make that decision. So you'd have to check, and you don't go if you go to their blog post or blog site, they don't actually talk about this problem whatsoever. Like if you go to their blog site, there's no reference to this controversy whatsoever, and I couldn't find it on their, tw- their Twitter account or anything. There was a blog post on another site that they had did an interview with. And it's in their privacy poly, like buried down in there. Not buried, but really far down. So uh, that part is kind of, um, it's, it's kind of bothersome a little bit, but it's not a huge issue. It's just something I want to let you all be aware of. And this also brings up a topic about, or a conversation over opt-in versus opt-out, and whether if, if it's moral or ethical to do so, to have an opt-out. Uh, in, in some way. So this is an interesting debate that we had on the destinationlinux.network forum. You can go there and, and join that conversation. We also had a, the t- this conversation on the Destination Linux podcast on episode 152, as well as I think another previous episode. I don't remember which one it was. Uh, but in, in the community feedback, someone wanted to talk about this particular issue, and we talked about it in episode 52. So that's going to be coming out pretty soon, so be sure to check that out. Uh, but yeah, if you want to join in the conversation, be sure to check out the destinationlinux.network forum and join there. And I'll have a link to the thread about this particular topic of opt-in versus opt-out being ethical or moral in the show notes below. Up next in the show is Arco Linux 19.12.15. And this is the latest stable version of a distribution that is based on Arch and uses XFCE as their default desktop. They also have other desktops as options in the community editions. The Arco Linux B is a set of community editions with many popular desktops and uh, window managers as options. They also have an Arco Linux D, which is a minimal distribution that allows you to like choose what desktops and applications to install through a script system. And they have Arco Linux... ISOs, which is kind of like, they also have things called Carly, custom Arch Linux installer, I think, 19.12.15 release, adds some uh, improvements to the Calamares installer. They added the possibility to install NVIDIA drivers to the ISO image, so if you select the box on the NVIDIA page with the internet connection, uh, with an internet connection, it will also it will install NVIDIA, NVIDIA settings, NVIDIA utils. If you don't have connected to the internet, it won't be able to install this because it pulls them down from the servers. 
They also have a LTS kernel module where they used to do a separate script for the LTS versions, which resulted in like 64 ISO images. Now this new module allows them to have 35 ISO images, and basically every ISO can potentially install the LTS kernel version if you'd like to do so. They also have a new module for AMD and Intel detection. So it will make sure that you have AMD-U code or Intel-U code installed on your system based on what your hardware is. So that is really cool. They've added the ability to auto-log in on all of the desktops that they support. They've added custom uh, icon set, which is based on a the surfing icons with a mix of like Breeze and Arc style stuff. And they've added a new theme that is based on Arc KDE, which they modified to support their icons. So Arco Linux is a really cool distribution. They have a lot of great documentation. There's so much effort put into the tutorials and videos that are put on, on the Arco Linux uh, YouTube channel that explains the certain things about Arco Linux and all that stuff. So they put a lot of effort in there. And I respect that effort. You don't need six websites for one project. That's just too much. So Arco Linux is a really cool distribution. They do a lot of great stuff and a lot of great uh, by default configurations on i3 and that kind of stuff. Uh, but you still need to reorganize a lot of stuff. Let's move on to the next topic. Up next in the show is some really great news and also some confusing news. So let's get into it. First of all, DXVK 1.5 was released, D9VK 0.40 was released, and there's been reports of DXVK being potentially going into maintenance mode, which means not having that much development. So we'll get into that in a second. But first of all, D9VK is the DirectX 9 Vulkan translation layer, and the latest version of Croca-Cola, which is a great name, uh, D, which is 0.40, is a big release and they you can now use more than four gigs of vram on 32-bit applications and games with it being noted to help modded uh, skyrim and oblivion users and also many other things there's also now async presentation across all vendors there's some improvements to the query flushing uh, performance fixes for various different games like legends of heroes uh, bloom rendering fixes for things like Mudrunner and many other miscellaneous updates. So really cool stuff. And then the DXVK 1.5 announcement was really cool because the it's they were saying that this version has D9VK merged into DXVK. This means that DXVK is now the project that translates Direct3D 9, 10, and 11. It used to be just 10 and 11, so now it's 9, 10, and 11 to Vulkan for Wine and to make just games work better and like Proton functionality and all that stuff but uh, able to be, to be possible really. So it's really cool that this is being done because it makes it a lot simpler overall and for developers and users because they only have to get, they only have to install one project and one package structure to get DXVK to work and you get benefits for 9, 10, and 11 based uh, translation layers. So that's really cool also makes it possible more easier for me to keep up to date with it because it's one project. Uh, so th at the same time though, there's some other issues. And it happened basically within like the same week period, so it's kind of confusing. But uh, Philip, the developer of DXVK, says that there is po it's, it's, it's going to enter maintenance mode. He said on a pull request, in a, in a, co in a comment on a pull request on GitHub, he says that DXVK has become fragile unreliable and frustrating maintenance nightmare. Adding that DXVK has become 
uh, well, oh, sorry, it's because it's most of the 1.4.x releases introduced major regressions, which I cannot reproduce and therefore cannot debug and fix. He also says most of these problems are still unresolved, and I have no idea how to even track them down, let alone fix them. And the ones that got fixed got fixed by reverting otherwise useful changes because I simply do not understand any of the issues at all. Doing any sort of active development with this broken mess of code of a code base would only make things worse, and I wish I had drawn the line sooner. So I'm so it's weird because there's a latest a newer version of DXVK, there's a big version of D9VK, and then D9VK is merging to DXVK while DXVK is no longer being maintained. So I'm like or developed, I guess. So it's very confusing about what's going on. And they are working on many things still being done like for Vulkan extensions to DXVK uh, D9VK was added like I said and you may be wondering what does all this mean for the project and well I don't know I mean I'll keep an eye on it and let you know whenever there's more information on this but I I, I don't know what's going on here it's it's, a, it's an issue of I, I think Philip doesn't have the hardware necessary to do debugging and testing and he doesn't have uh, access to some of the code from like game developers and stuff like that to make sure everything is working. And I'm pretty sure DXVK is made by one person. So that's a huge, well, D9VK was also made by one or one or two people. So then merging together kind of helps there. Uh, but there's not, it's not like a, it's not a huge uh, project made by a lot of developers, even though it's a very fundamentally important project that is like the, the, basically the backbone uh, in conjunction with wine to make proton work. So Wine and DXVK are very vital for Proton. So it is an important project, and it's it would be a shame to see it go away. So hopefully there will be more people who jump on the development for DXVK, or hopefully uh, Valve will you know do something about making it work better. Because Valve does actually have, uh, I think he's an independent contractor with for Valve, for Philip is. So hopefully Valve would be able to like hire some more developers to make it more... Uh, able to be maintained better or not better but like more less work on philip because it's it seems to be like a lot of work or in the very least have uh you know donate some hardware to him or whatever i don't know what's going to go on here hopefully nothing bad you know hopefully dsvk project you know pushes through and thrive and thrives because it is a very important project and i think that we would be uh, it would be a big shame if it was going away because it also basically would mean that proton goes away so Hopefully that doesn't happen. Best of luck to DSVK and D9VK developers. And uh, yeah, I'll keep you up to date as soon as I learn more. In some more core news, Mesa Drivers 19.3 has been released. And this is a big update for a variety of things like Valve ACO options and Intel open source drivers. And this is a big end of the year upgrade to the open source OpenGPL and Vulkan drivers as well. So the uh, also the Intel AMD Radeon drivers charge uh, changes largely charge change large and dominate the work of this but as they mostly do but there's also a growing number of embedded changes or embedded driver changes and other enhancements so changes from intel open gpl 4.6 support many new vulcan extensions both the radeon rad v or radv and intel anv initial intel tiger lake support has been added and the Valve ACO backend for RADV is mainlined. So if you're not aware, the ACO, short for the AMD compiler, not a creative name, because uh, CO is from compiler, 
is the effort led by Valve at creating a more performant and optimized shader compiler for the Radeon Linux graphics drivers, which is really cool because they're actually, uh, Ryan from DOSGeek and Destination Linux Network, he had done some testing, like having uh, certain games prior to being uh, using ACO and with ACO added and saw like massive improvements to like 40% better performance and stuff like that with the shader the shader improvements. So he said at one point he was trying one game and it wasn't really even playable. When he added the ACO compiler, it made it totally playable. And that is fantastic. So there's a lot of potential. So that's why the ACO thing, while seeming not to be that big of a deal, like how is an optimized shader compiler important? That's why. Sometimes it can actually make a game not only more performant, but actually run. So really cool that Valve's doing that, and also great to see it in the Mesa 19.3. Also, AMD Navi 14 support has been added, which means it has support for the new Radeon RX 5500 XT. But on, unfortunately, the Mesa drivers of 19.3, they're not available with um, the new, like, unless you have a rolling distribution, they're not available, or unless you have something like Pop OS that updates the drivers really quickly you're going to have to wait a little while to get these. Depending on what your system is, it might be from six months to two years, depending on how often you update and how often your distribution updates. So hopefully that's pretty soon. And if you do have one of these pieces of hardware, you might want to check out something that's not one of the LTS styles. But also, Calabra's uh, Zinc code is added for experimental OpenGPL over Vulkan. So, like, the idea was, like, you know, OpenGL and Vulkan are kind of competitive technologies. And the this is a way to uh, basically have OpenGL stuff run over Vulkan. So, this is pretty, pretty cool. And, uh, yeah, I can't wait to try it out. Although, I'm currently using LTS distribution. So, it'll be a while before I do. Uh, or... I'll just, you know, check out check it out in a rolling style. So we'll see about that. So that's it for this topic for the Mesa 19.3 drivers. And if you'd like to learn more, I'll have a link to it in the show notes below. Up next in the show is the latest release of QEMU 4.2. Now, QEMU is an open source, part of the open source Linux virtualization stack. Actually, it's pretty much a key piece of the virtualization stack. And uh, we're going to go into uh, the details about what is new in this particular version. If you are not familiar with all of these different uh, initialisms and stuff like that, uh, sorry, because there's a, quite a few. I'll, I'll describe a few of them but, and explain a few of these things. But it's, it's basically like just massively initialism, like just packed. Uh, so uh, support for Intel AVX 512 BF16 extensions have been added. Uh, BF16 is BFloat16. Uh, the latest updates of all the CPU models now have TSX extensions disabled by default. TSX meaning transactional synchronization extensions. This is because of the recent TSX async abort vulnerability, which is also called uh, the Zombie Load Variant 2, and better performance for tiny code generation or TCG emulation f uh, of ARM cores. Another QEMU 4.2 performance improvement can come from the Gcrypt and Nettle libraries where QEMU can now use the library's own XTS cipher mode and can result in a big performance boost for AES, ETX, or XTS encryption, particularly if you're using something like a Lux disk encryption while also running that under QEMU. The Lux block driver now supports full pre-allocation and support for QEMU on ARM can now run more than 256 CPUs. 
uh, A-Speed AST2600 model support has been added, and also Scalable Vector Extensions, or ARM SVE, is now supported with the KVM guest on capable ARM SOCs or system on a chips and other supported kernels. Also, finally, Apple macOS Hypervisor Framework, or HVF, support is now considered stable for this particular release of QEMU 4.2. So, if any of that stuff made sense to you, um, I'm, thanks for watching this segment. And if not, I'll have a link in the show notes to the latest release of 19 point, or not 19, but 4.2 of QEMU in the show notes below. Up next in the show is the housekeeping section. So I'm trying to make this really, this one really fast. Uh, we have a quick correction for Firefox. Uh, Firefox 71, I said that picture-in-picture -picture mode was not available in Linux. And technically speaking, the Mozilla release notes does say that. However, you can do some tweaks in the config section and get it to work. I have a link in it to do a tutorial for that. So just quick note there. Uh, also, if you're not aware, we have an audio, a audio feed for RSS feeds that you can subscribe to. You can also subscribe in whatever podcast app you ha you want. And uh, let me know if you have any uh, podca podcast app that doesn't have support for the, the show. Like If you search for it and don't find it, please let me know about that. We recently got informed that there was one, sh one platform that we weren't on that I thought we were on. So uh, definitely, if you do find out an issue like that, please let me know because I would like to fix it and have the show on everything. So if you find something that is not on, please let me know. Also, be sure to become a patron if you would like to get any uh, patron-only reward tiers. You can be a patron on Patreon or sponsors, and both of those get the same level of rewards. So whichever one you want to choose is be great, and you get access to unedited versions of the live stream when I do those live streams, access to live streams that are not necessarily available to the public, and also many more things. I have a link in the show notes to both of these. You can also be sure to check out the segment index that we have in the show notes, as well as the description of the show, of the channel, or the channel, of the video, and also the podcast uh, chapters and bookmark stuff. You can switch around to different topics whenever you want to, and also be sure to go back to the previous topics if you decide to jump around. Go back, watch the whole show. It's important. It's for the algorithm or whatever. I don't know. Anyway. Also, finally, the Destination Linux Network is the network that this show is a part of, so be sure to check that out by going to destinationlinux.network to find out all the other content that's available, and be sure to join the Destination Linux Forum, because the Destination Linux Network Forum is the like kind of like the hub of all of the community, so go check that out and become become a member there, and you can have conversations with uh, all the creators on the Destination Linux, Destination Linux Network and all the other uh, community members as well. So be sure to join that. And yeah, let's get on to the rest of the show. Up next in the show is politics. Yay. Risk 5 Foundation says they're going to be saying goodbye to United States as their headquarters. So the Risk 5 Foundation wants to ensure that universities, governments, and companies outside the U.S. can help develop open source technology. And due to some political decisions based on the U.S. government doing things like uh, blocking certain countries and certain companies in certain countries, being able to use certain technologies and certain trades and stuff with other companies there in the U.S. It's just a mess. And the Risk Five Foundation decided that they don't want to be a part of that, and they're going to be moving their uh, foundation to another country. So in an interview with uh, Chief Executive Callista Redmond uh, and with Reuters, 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 I think it's Reuters actually, Anyway, she said that the Foundation's global collaboration has faced no restrictions to date, but members are concerned about possible geopolitical disruption. 
It says, from around the world, that we've heard that if the incorporation was not in the U.S., we would be a lot more comfortable. Uh, Redmond said the foundation's board of directors approved the move unanimously. So if you're not aware, the RISC-V Foundation sets standards for the core chip architecture of RISC-V and controls who can use the RISC-V trademark on products, similar to how other organizations do this for Wi-Fi and Bluetooth. And But it does not own or control the technology because it is an open source you know, architecture. And more than 325 companies or other entities pay to be members of this uh, RISC-V structure, including U.S. and European chip suppliers such as Qualcomm and NXP semiconductors, as well as China's Alibaba and Huawei. So understandably, there's going to be some issues with the members if they're not going to be able to support the architecture that they're members of. Uh, so it makes sense that they're going to be moving, and it may also makes sense where they're, where they're moving to because the RISC-V Foundation will be moving to Switzerland instead of the U.S. Uh, they haven't said exactly when, but fairly soon because they've been working on the transition for about a year or so, uh, pretty pretty quick after this whole you know nonsense with the political stuff happened. So, yeah, politics. Up next in the show is a cross-platform text editor based on Qt or Qt and Scintilla. I don't know if I'm saying that one right, uh, but the other one is cute, by the way. And this application has a really fun name called Textosaurus. It's just it's just fun to say. And it aims to provide a similar workflow to Notepad++. And it has a configurable toolbar, configurable icon themes, and has configurable color schemes if you want for the editor, and a variety of different other stuff, including fundamental pieces like code folding, syntax highlighting, support for external scripts, and it also has some pretty cool stuff like a cross-platform plugin API, it has the ability to encrypt files with OpenSSL, and it can save, uh, record, save, and playback macros. So you can do automation stuff with it. It's pretty cool, and I really like the name of it, Textosaurus. It's fun to say. Anyway, if you're interested in having an application that is similar to or like in the same workflow as Notepad++, you want to have a good Qt version of that on Linux, check out Textosaurus 0.9.13. I have a link in the show notes below. Up next in the show is the announcement from Microsoft that Teams is now available for Linux. If you're not aware, Microsoft Teams is essentially a Slack alternative. It's described as a unified communication and collaboration platform that combines persistent chat, video meetings, and file storage. And they've also released this in a RPM form and a dev form, so you can get those packages based on your distribution. And if you're on you know, Arch, it's in the AUR and stuff like that. Uh, but... This is a very popular thing in the corporate environment as like enterprise companies and corporations will use Microsoft Teams because, you know, it's Microsoft. So they just have that whole thing. And this is actually kind of, uh, and personally, I don't care about this thing, but I have got a lot of comments and people on Telegram and people on Twitter sending me messages about how this is good for them because they are working, they work for a company that has uh, this as their uh, communication platform. So it makes it possible for them to use Linux as their sole uh, you know, operating system, whereas I used to have to use, for work, they had to use Microsoft Teams on Windows because it was the only way to use the software for them. And now they don't have to worry about that, and it makes it possible for them to use Linux only, which is awesome. So that is great. I, I don't, like, I, I don't think that Microsoft Teams is that good of a product in comparison to Slack or Mattermost or Matrix or whatever. It's I don't think it's that good, but at the same time, it's still really cool that they have that as an option for Linux users now, so I'm happy that happened. Uh, but other than that, you know, meh. But at the same time, I would say that it'd be really cool if this is kind of like 
a predecessor to Microsoft Office being available on Linux because this is technically a part of their Office suite. So if this is a first step to that happening, that would be fantastic. So hopefully that does happen. Anyway, if you'd like to learn more about Microsoft Teams and its availability on Linux, I guess I'll have a link in the show notes below. Speaking of Microsoft, Microsoft has announced that they're going to have a WSL conference, or the Windows Subsystem for Linux conference. And Canonical has recently announced that they will be sponsoring it as a featured sponsor for the conference. And this conference is taking place on March 10th and 11th, and it will be for devs, enthusiasts, and users. And they were, they're going to have uh, confirmed talks from Canonical's Hayden Barnes, who works as a developer advocate for Ubuntu on WSL, and also Ben Hillis, lead software engineer of Windows... Uh, Lead software engineer of Windows subsystem for Linux at Microsoft. Kayla Cinnamon, project man- Kayla Cinnamon. That Cinnamon is an awesome name for a last name. Anyway, project manager of the open source Windows terminal app. And Jinming Wu, lead developer of WSL utilities package for Ubuntu and others and a lot of other speakers as well. This conference is free, but space is limited, so go to wslconf.dev if you're interested to register. Uh, but there's also some people who are talking about how they're concerned of Canonical investing money into or money and resources into WSL. And there's other feel that this is going to help bring more people to Linux because they get to try out their Windows users who get to try out different Linux components and utilities and you know kind of get their, their feet wet sort of to try out Linux in the future. And I would like to know what you think about this topic. So be sure to let me know in the comments below and also on the DLN forum. I have and this episode will be linked in the show notes below. And so you can be sure to comment on that and let me know what you think because I'm very interested in what you think about this particular topic. Personally, I think Canonical has done a ton of great things for the community and for the ecosystem and for the platform. So I'm a fan of Canonical overall because they've done a ton of stuff that has been beneficial for everyone. In fact, they basically made the desktop usable. You know, in the, back in the day, the desktop for Linux was a mess. And they've done, they did a lot of work to make it a usable system. So very, th- thank you very much for that, Canonical. However, I do think it is weird that Canonical is doing so much work on WSL. And it's not just Canonical, though. That Red Hat with Fedora, Debian has their own version. Even Kali Linux and SUSE have their own versions for uh, WSL. And I don't understand why so much work on the Linux side, the the Linux, you know, people are we're doing this for Windows. I don't I don't know why we're making it easier for people to stay on Windows because that's essentially what it feels like it is. Because like why would micro, I understand why Microsoft is doing this because of course Microsoft is doing it, and I'm pretty sure that Microsoft is paying a lot these companies or at least some of them to do this work. But why are we wanting this to be happen? Like, why are the companies doing? I just want to know because it doesn't seem like a reasonable thing. Because if if someone is a, a Windows user and they get the WSL and they're like, "Oh man, I can't wait to use all these tools," well, they could have just used Linux anyway, anytime. But now they don't have to because it's available to them now. Like, so yeah, there might be a small percentage of people that go from you know ever trying Linux stuff, you getting it and go, "Oh, I wonder what else is next." But I don't think it's enough for to justify working on stuff for Microsoft like this. Like it's just, it's just weird. Like I don't get it. Maybe I'm missing something. And if I am, please let me know in the comments below or on the Destination Linux Network forum thread for this episode. And uh, yeah, I would like to know. And uh, but again, 
the whole hating canonical because they're do, like I don't agree with that. I don't I don't uh, I'm not a part of that club. But uh, canonical in this particular case, I don't get it. Up next in the show is Disney Plus is now available for Linux. Now, there used to be an issue with Disney Plus on Linux because when it first launched, there was some weird DRM issues where they had the DRM restrictions way too high and it created an issue where you couldn't use it on Linux for some reason. Now, I don't know if they've actually lowered the DRM restrictions or they've done something else to make it possible to run on Linux, but there's no workarounds for the users necessary. So this is great. And if you're interested in checking out Disney Plus, you can now do so. So that's cool. Uh, I am kind of annoyed that there are all these subscription services are being created and it's just like this big mess of like there's so many different services that are just you know anytime a company can try to get as much money as they out, out as you they can and get it like you know 20 bucks or 10 bucks a month or whatever it's not a big deal but 10 bucks a month times 50 you know it gets it gets ridiculous so uh at the same time it's disney and they own so much stuff that it kind of makes sense to have their own subscription service because they have marvel and star wars and their own ips and, and they're creating their own original series as well uh, but there's, you know, it, I am kind of disappointed that the Marvel uh, series on Netflix are canceled because I really like those shows. Uh, well, except for Iron Fist, it was awful. Uh, although Iron Fist as a character in the comics of Marvel is awesome, the show was terrible. Not important, but still true. Uh, but I'm a big fan of Marvel. Uh, I've been a big comic fan for a very long time. Marvel's my favorite comic company i guess in the big two i also like independent but not important i could do a whole series on comic books if i if if i wanted but you know whatever marvel is one of my favorite uh companies as far as me creating content so i like uh i, I can't wait to get all the, the shows that they're making for disney plus so i do have disney plus even though i don't really want a new subscription service but i also wanted to check out the mandalorian for star wars because as a fan of star wars well, the original th trilogy, because the prequels were just garbage, and the, uh, the newer versions or the newer movies are, well, one, Force Awakens was mediocre, wasn't terrible, but it was basically just a rehash of New Hope, and then they made The Last Jedi, which was just nonsense. They didn't even understand who Luke Skywalker was, so having having Mark Hamill play the character that's not remotely like Luke Skywalker was so weird. Like, the name was Luke Skywalker, but nothing else was. It was just a mess, so whatever. Moving on, if you're interested in checking out the Disney+, Plus, you can now do so on Linux, so that's great, and I look forward to checking out the lit next series for Mar Marvel stuff. Oh, by the way, The Mandalorian. What I meant to say about The Mandalorian is that as someone who doesn't like the newer versions of Star Wars because they don't understand the universe... Uh, even George Lucas, for some reason, doesn't understand his own universe. So that's how he made the prequels so awful. But The Mandalorian is really good. It's There's also a lot of memes around it, too. But in general, like it's a good show. So I, I'm surprised to say that because most of the stuff from, you know, since the 80s from the original trilogy or whatever has been terrible. And now Mandalorian, pretty good show. Check it out if you want to. Up next in the show, and the final topic is the Humble Bundles this week. There's a lot of bundles related to games and books in this one, so we're going to just jump into it. A graphic design and visual art bundle for books is available, and this one has a freehand, sketching tips and tricks, graphic design theory, readings from the field, the business of design, balancing creativity and profitability, and 
one I think is a really funny name is the How to Be a Graphic Designer Without Losing Your Soul. So if you want to check that out, I have a link to that in the show, in the description as well as the show notes. And uh, just so you know, the links related to this Humble Bundle are affiliate links. So if you, you if you decide to purchase these bundles, please use the links below because it helps this show and this channel uh, financially with a small commission from Humble Bundle, Humble Bundle. So please do use those if you don't mind because it would I'd be very much appreciative of that. Uh, moving on, Paradox Management Games Bundle has a lot of different games from the company Paradox Management, and they have games like Prison Architect, Cities in Motion, City Skyline, Surviving Mars, and you can get all these games plus as many DLCs as well. I have a, I'm a big fan of Prison Architect and City Skylines. I haven't played the other two, but City Skylines is really difficult. It's really fun, but also really difficult. Uh, well, I mean, to me, because I'm not really good at sim games, but it's essentially like you build you build your own city and you kind of try to like. Um, be, you're like the mayor of the city, sort of, and you like to make decisions based on like different where schools should be and all that other stuff. Really cool idea. So check if you're into that kind of game, check that out. Uh, so the bundle is really cool because you have a lot of DLCs as well for all the different games. Uh, also, uh, data science has we talked about this bundle last time, uh, but I want to talk about it because it's still available. You can get uh, books like Statistics Done Wrong, The Woefully Complete Guide, Practical SQL, A Beginner's Guide to Storytelling with Data data visualization with JavaScript, and many more. So again, links in the show notes, affiliate links in the show notes for those. Also, O'Reilly Classics Books Bundle, which is really cool because there's a lot of books in here that are very, very much classics. So I'm just going to tell you, mention a few of them, uh, but you know, they're, they're pretty cool. So Revolution in the Valley, which is related to how Mac got started or Apple got started. Uh, JavaScript, the good parts. Uh, Programming Pearl, Java in a Nutshell, SSH, The Secure Shell, Definitive Guide, Git Pocket Guide, Hackers and Painters, and the classic from uh, Eric S. Raymond, or ESR, The Cathedral, and The Bazaar. So uh, those and many more are available in this bundle. So if you would like to check out any of these bundles, be sure to click the links in the show notes and the video description as they are affiliate links and it would be very much beneficial to this show if you were to do so. So, yeah. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on the show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the Tux Digital channel, we have multiple ways to contribute. via PayPal, Patreon, sponsors, and many others. You can learn more by going to tuxdigital.com slash contribute. And if you j- decide to sponsor via Patreon or sponsors, you also get some Patreon rewards, so check those out as well. Or you can order the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt by going to tuxdigital.com slash Linux is Everywhere. Or if you're in Europe, you can go to tuxdigital.com slash linuxeverywhereeu for shipping inside of Europe. We also have ways to contribute without any cost to you by using our affiliate links. You can find links for places like Private Internet Access, Amazon, Humble Bundle, and many more by going to tuxdigital.com slash affiliates. And if you'd like some more podcasting goodness from me, then check out the latest episode of Destination Linux, as I'm a co-host of that show. And the latest episode was really interesting because we talked about a lot of different cool topics like Kali Linux, Elementary OS, and we also announced the partnership we're doing with the Free Geek Organization, which is basically like a Christmas sort of uh, crowdfunding campaign to help out the Free Geek Organization, which is a really great organization that helps to kind of bridge the the digital divide issues. And if you want to learn more about that, we had an interview with Hillary Shohoney from Free Geek on episode 151, so be sure to check that out. And uh, thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tanell with Tux Digital, and as always, keep using, learning, and enjoying Linux.